Um, so let just to go back uh, to back in the story, right? Because this is, uh, as my father would say, this is one of those Flash Gordon moments in the Torah. The uh, last week's story stops, and uh, and then uh, we 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 really are on a cliffhanger of what is going to happen as we begin this week's parasha. I remember Rabbi Abitan had a lady, he said she called him and asked him, could I find out what happens before next Shabbat? <laughs> so, uh, so we're good. So we, we were reading, so basically just a quick recap. B'nai Israel, uh, so B'nai Israel are living in Israel. Uh, the 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 they, the sons the tribes the shevatim they sell Yosef. Remember they threw Yosef into the pit. That was the idea of Reuven. His intention at the time was to be able to uh, to come back and get him later. And uh, and uh, what happened was in the meantime Yehuda realized that they uh, that he might die in the pit. And he said, better than killing our brother, we should sell him as a slave, which may be not that much better. And, uh, but at least he keeps him alive. They sell him as a slave. He gets to Egypt. He works to Potiphar. He rises up in the house of Potiphar. Hashem is with him. The wife of Potiphar uh, uh, tries to seduce him. He ends up in prison. In the prison, he becomes the head of the prison. And uh, there he meets the baker and the butler. He... Uh, he uh, interprets their dreams, spends two more years in prison. Paro has a dream. He, the butler, tells Paro about the uh, the servant in the prison. He Yosef uh, is then brought out of the prison. He interprets Paro's dream. Not only does he ter- interpret it, he uh, he gives him advice, and Yosef then becomes the viceroy of all of Egypt after seven years of plenty. His, we begin the, two, the years of famine, and after some time of famine, the brothers come down. He accuses them of being spies. He sends them back home, leaving a hostage who's Shimon, and he leaves him as a hostage, sends them back, tells them, if you want to come back, bring your brother, the youngest brother, Benjamin. Jacob doesn't want to let Benjamin leave. Eventually, he lets them go down. They leave to go back. The money is returned. The cup is placed in Benjamin's uh, sack. The uh, police go after them, and they catch them and accuse them of stealing the the uh, the cup. They go from the oldest down to the youngest. Finally, they find the cup in the in the bag of Benjamin. Bring him back. They all say, "If you find the cup, we will all be servants to you." They volunteer that they'll all be servants. None of them will go home. They come back and they start to plead uh, with uh, with Joseph. And that's the way we end last week's parasha. I just want to go back to the last two verses of last week's parasha. And it's, it's interesting. The last two verses says, Yehuda. Yehuda says, What can we say to, our, to my master? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? Then he gives you the punchline. Ha Elohim matza et avon avadecha. God found the sin of your servant. Meaning, he's saying to Yosef, Yosef, you think you're doing this to us? You are not doing this to us. This is God doing it to us because of what we did wrong. Because we sold our brother, God is punishing us. 
And he turns to him and he says, listen, we promised you something. We are servants to you. Also all of us and also Benjamin. So at this point, Yehuda is saying, we are guilty. God is the one who's punishing us. It's not really coming from you. But as a result of our sin, we accept the, the, the edict. We accept that we did something wrong. We will all be servants to you. All of us, including Benjamin. Now, interesting. So now he's accepted. He admits this is from Hashem. What could he do? He agrees it's all over. Then Joseph gives them a 90% discount. What does he say? Vayomet, he says, Chalilali me'asot zot. God forbid, so to say, from doing this. Ha'ish asher nimsa ha'gavia be'yado. The guy who the cup was found in his hand. Who yihili? He's going to be for me. Aver ve'atem alule shalom el avichem. Get up and go, all you guys, to your father. So we ended the perasha where Yehuda was saying, you know what, we're guilty, we accept that we're guilty, we accept that God did this to us. And Joseph says to him, you know what, given all of that, I appreciate your admittance of guilt, I appreciate you accepting, but you know what, ten of you go home, I'm only going to keep the guy who was guilty. The Midrash then goes into an extremely, I mean, there's so many Midrashim about the next words. The beginning of this week's parasha, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. We translate this, we always translated this as Yehuda approached. But Nagash in Hebrew, it's really more of a collision. A car crash uses the verb Nagash. So there's a collision now. It's not Vayomer Yehuda. Yehuda didn't say to him. It's not Yehuda came to him. It's there's going to be a collision between Yehuda and Yosef. But where could there be the collision is, is the problem. Yehuda already said, enough, we're guilty. We're all except we're going to be slaves. Joseph gave them the discount. Why now, boom. The Midrash goes further and he says, if you look in Rashi, that he spoke harshly, Yehuda now. What do you mean he speak harshly? The guy just gave you the biggest break. He just says, 10 of you go home. How does he have the audacity to speak harshly? Goes further and he says, you're like Paro. Rashi says, you're going to ultimately be punished just like Paro was punished when they took our great-grandmother, Sarah. Another explanation, just as Paro issues degrees, doesn't carry them out, doesn't fulfill his promises, so are you. Another explanation is, we're going to kill you and we're going to kill Paro. Other Midrashim say his eyes turned red. He said each of his brothers is going to go. Naftali ran. Each one's going to go to a marketplace. They're going to destroy all of Egypt. A different Midrash says everything he told Yosef, Yosef told them back, you think you're going to kill me? I'll kill all of you right here and now. You're going to speak and yell. I'm going to put a rock in your mouth. And it goes back and forth, this whole battle. Then the Midrash says something very strange. It says that all of a sudden, Menashe puts his hand on Yehuda, and Yehuda is frozen in place. And Yehuda now sees what happened. Apparently, this Menashe has a power over him 
a power of Yaakov, and he can't do anything. So he goes from the threat. It's interesting because if we say Yehuda is from Le'an, Le'an, that connection we spoke about from, from uh, a connection to Esav, the world of Tohu, it seems we see this passion in Yehuda, the opening passion. I'm going to destroy, I'm going to kill, I'm going to destroy everything. The same passion we saw in a way, Yehuda approaching Tamar. Now Yehuda takes a step back. He takes a step back. And all of a sudden he has to have this conversation. Be Adoni, please my master. Don't get angry with me. He says, he starts to tell him the whole history. It's 17 Pesukim. The Torah gives us whole stories in a word or two. Here, 17 Pesukim rehashing all the events in a speech that Yehuda is going to make. And what's the crux of his argument? Our father is home. He's going to die without him. Or maybe Benjamin is going to die because Rashi says, you know, when we were going to bring Benjamin, we were scared to bring him. His mother died on the road. Maybe it's a genetic defect that they can't travel. We brought Benjamin. Our father didn't want us to bring Benjamin. And Benjamin now, he's here. And if we don't bring him back, our father's going to die if we don't bring him back. He's the youngest. He said he's going to, he can't go, he can't live on without him. And he goes on and on and he says, and there was another brother and he was torn from us and he was killed and, he, and, and he's the only one left for his father and his father says he can't handle it. And what happened was I promised my father that I would take full responsibility. I promised him that, he says, for how will I go up to my father is the boy, if the boy is not with me? I guaranteed him, I have to bring him back. So he says to him, the first argument that he has. It's nothing to do with guilt or innocence. It's interesting. One of the Mephashim say that the brothers actually thought that Benjamin stole the cup. Why? Just like the, his mother, Rachel, stole the Terafim, stole the little idols from her father and never told. Just like mother, just like son, Benjamin might have stolen the cup. Other Mephashim say, Yosef already told Benjamin what's happening. Because Benjamin recognized him right away. I don't know. Going further, he says, so that's his first argument now. They're, they're thinking, okay, say we're guilty. Say we're guilty. And now we're guilty, but he has an old father at home. And his father's going to be sick. His father will die without him. For his father's sake, let him go. Argument number two is this. Look at me. I'm a big, tough warrior, soldier. I can do so much more than anyone else that you're going to have. I'm much more worth to you than having Benjamin here. Even though Benjamin's not really a kid. He's 30 years old and he has 10 of his own kids at this point in his life. But he says to him, let me stay. Let me stay instead of him. Those are the two key arguments of Yehuda. Let's think of those arguments. Let's try to think of those arguments if we go into a court of law today. Let's imagine a thief goes in to rob a store. He robs the store, a jewelry store, smashes the, the showcase, takes the stuff, runs out, and the police grab him red-handed with the stuff in his hands. They bring him to jail. He comes to court. In the court, the lawyer says, listen, judge, he stole, he broke the showcase, 
he took the jewelry, he was caught red-handed, but Hazit, he has an old mother at home that he needs to take care of, and she's going to be sick without him. Oh yeah, he has ten other brothers who can take care of the mother, but she's going to be sick without him. Please, judge, let him go. And what's the judge going to say? He should have thought of that before he robbed the jewelry. What kind of argument is Yosef, is, is Yehuda making to Yosef? There's no argument here. He's saying mercy because he has an old father? So he should have thought of that before he took the cup. Argument number two. And I remember my father talking about this. He says, it's absolutely ridiculous. He said, at the time we were, we were discussing this, I remember there was a guy, Michael Vick, he got arrested for, he was a quarterback, famous quarterback, he got arrested for dog fighting. He was going to go to jail. So my father said, imagine Michael Vick sends a note out and says, listen, I need 10 guys to come make license plates instead of me. We're going to go to the judge, because what's Yehuda saying? Instead of taking Benjamin, the guilty guy, take me instead. It's like someone gets arrested, he stole something, come to the judge, you're going to go to jail, he has to make license plates. So don't send him, send me instead. It's the most ridiculous argument in the world. What do you mean, send me instead? We only want to take the guilty one. And Yosef made it clear in the previous pasuk, he says to them, go home in peace. Go to your father, the only guy who stays is the guilty one. So what kind of argument, what kind of argument is taking place here? What kind of argument is, is Yehuda giving? The other thing we're trying to understand is after Yosef was told him, go home, why does he suddenly now threaten? What changed when he was accepting that this is from God and now he seems not to accept that anymore and he wants Yosef to change everything and let them go? We have to come back and try to understand what changed that had Yehuda's whole mind thinking, hey, this is all different right now. It's interesting that we were looking at it and we said that this relates really, interesting that Yehuda's argument relates to Yom Kippur. He's asking, Selicha, forgive us, Kapara, and we have a substitute, pardon us, and substitute in exchange. Who's the Kapara? In Yom Kippur, we say, we're sending the Azazel, we're sending the goat as Kapara, we're bringing the sacrifice as Kapara. What are we saying now? Yehuda is saying, I'll be the sacrifice, I'll be the substitute, I'll be the Kapara. This is like Yom Kippur. And it's only at that point, Yosef, he can't hold back. At that point, Yosef can't hold back. One of the things I was thinking was that it looks like, we, we talked about a number of times, that when a soul sins, Hashem gives that soul a chance to do kapara, to, to, to fix their sin. By what? By testing them. How? In the same situation as they were before. So the, the way the Gemara says, in the same place, with the same woman, etc., etc. It says, what happened now? Yehuda was the one who the brother said was the leader. Yehuda was the one who said originally, take him out of the pit and sell him. We don't want to be responsible when he's to kill him. So let's sell him. Right after the incident of selling him, what happens? The Pasuk says, Vayered Yehuda. Yehuda went down. He went down where? In the esteem of his brother's eyes. Why? Because he was the leader. He was the one they looked up to. And what did he do? He was the one 
who said, sell him. Now what happens is Yehuda is put in the same exact situation. Who's in the pit, so to say? Benjamin is in the pit. And what does Yehuda say? He says, you know what? I messed up last time. I should have done something different with Joseph. I'm not going to mess up today. I'm going to stand up for my brother. I'm going to be metaken. I'm going to fix my original sin. And I believe that this is the reason that Yosef at this point breaks down. This is the reason that Yosef says he can't bear it anymore. Everyone get out. Now realize something. That Yosef is now standing in a room basically all alone. Only with who? Only with, only with his uh, brothers. They can, at a moment's notice, kill him. Kill him, dead, finished, over. But he's risking his life. Why? He does not want them to be embarrassed in public when he's going to go about and reveal himself. And it says now, he says, get out, and then he cries. We're going to see Yosef cries again and again and again. Yosef, cry, baby, you're the king. Why is he always crying? No one's around. He reveals himself. He's crying. Is he emotional? Why is he crying? And then he tells them, Od Avicha, is my father still alive? What do you mean? You just went through a whole speech how our father's going to die if we don't bring him home. But he's telling them something maybe in reproof. You just said that if Benjamin doesn't go home, your father's going to die. How come you didn't think of that when you sold me? How come you didn't think of it then? So Yosef says to his brothers, come close to me. Because they didn't believe it's Nivhalu. Nivhalu is like, it's a fear of embarrassment. Fear of embarrassment. Very strange. They weren't fearing for their lives. They were fearing embarrassment. It's a strange term. Like, suddenly they're going to find something that they didn't know before. And what do the brothers do? They come close. And he wants to show them that he has his Brit Milah. So they believe that it's really him. They don't answer. They don't bow. They don't apologize. They don't beg for forgiveness. They completely ignore the subject. And basically, they leave. He says to them, I'm Yosef, you sold me. Don't be sad. Don't be sad, why? Because Hashem planned all of this. Now that He's gotten them to the point where He showed them, listen, you guys messed up. But the fact is, Hashem is in charge of the world. And Hashem sent me down to Egypt in order to save you. Two years of the famine have gone by. There will be five more years. God sent me to save you. He sent me to keep you alive, to support you. I'm going to be the one to take care of all of you. Because without me, you can't survive. Go home. Tell daddy that I, his son, am the ruler of all of Egypt. I'm the father of Paro. Means he don't do nothing without asking me. Go get him and tell him that God made me a ruler and lord over all of Egypt. What is he doing? Bragging? You think Yaakov needs to hear that he's the king of Egypt? It's probably the last thing he wants. He wants to hear he's alive. He's alive. He's connected. He has Shomer Vrit. He's still our brother Joseph. No, he says, don't wait. Go. Tell daddy, you come down here now. Not in an asking way, maybe a little disrespectful. Then he's going to tell his father where he's going to live. He's not going to ask his father, Dad, where do you want to live? You're going to live in the land of Goshen. Maybe his father wants to take Goshen, which was given to Sarah, 
when uh, Paro tried to approach her, maybe they want to rent it. Hey, you live in Goshen. He says, no, you're going to live there. And I, me, I, Yosef, will sustain you for the next five years of the famine. He says, the son tells the father, come quickly. Seems a little rough in nature. He says, you see, daddy? You see the honor? You see everything? Everything sort of in the dream came true? What's he trying to tell them? Tell him how great he is, how much honor he has. What is he trying to impress them? It seems there's no purpose. Yosef is alive, thrilled. So everybody in Egypt now heard the crying. Again, crying, Yosef crying. So we skip. So they went from Egypt, they came to the land of Canaan, they came to their father, and they told their father, Yosef is still alive. And they told him all of the words of Yosef, and what he said to them, and when Yaakov saw the wagons, his soul would survive. So the, the Rashi basically says he had a heart attack, he died. And he was suddenly revived when he saw the wagons. What did he see in the wagons? He said, it's a good idea, we should give that to the doctors instead of the boop, 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 right? You know, instead of uh, getting the guy back, show him some wagons and we'll get the guy out of his heart attack. He says, what did he see? He saw Egla, he remembered Agalot, he remembered the last thing we learned together was Egla Rufa was the, uh, the, uh, the calf that you, uh, you break the neck. And he was, he was comforted realizing that his son was sending him a message to say that he was still connected. And he realized the Shekhinah came back to rest on Yaakov Avinu. The Shekhinah had left Yaakov basically because he was in a state of being sad. The Shekhinah doesn't rest on a person in their sadness. And he said, I'm very happy now. Enough. My son Joseph is still alive. Let me go see him. Goes to Be'er Sheva. Hashem says, don't worry, Yaakov. Go down to Egypt. I am going with you. And we skip to the meeting. He sends Yehuda ahead. Rashi says, why did he send Yehuda? To build the yeshiva. Yehuda of all the people, he's going to go build the yeshiva. Can't Yaakov get there? And then they put up the yeshiva when he gets there. Why does he have to build it before he gets there? Okay, he wants to have a place to learn. Yosef harnesses his chariot, he goes to meet his father, he appears to him, and then the pasuk tells us, Yosef falls on his neck, and what's Yosef doing again? He's crying. His father, on the other hand, is not crying. What's his father doing? His father, at that very moment, that he sees his son for the first time in 22 years, instead of crying on his son's shoulder, which you would imagine, Yosef knew his father was alive for the 22 years. Yaakov thought his son was dead. He probably should be the one crying. Instead, what is he doing? Shema Yisrael. But if it's the time for Shema, why is Yosef not saying Shema? And if Yosef went to Vatikin, why did Yaakov not go to Vatikin and say Shema early? Why is Yaakov saying Shema at that moment when Yosef is crying? It seems to me that the Shema that Yaakov is saying is an answer to the crying of Yosef. We're going to try to come to that. He's again crying. So Rashid says, no kiss, no falling on the neck. It, 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 it's, it's very interesting. Now let's look at the Haftarah. The Haftarah that normally we read, that we read this week, is the Haftarah of Yechezkel. What's the Haftarah say? The word of Hashem came to me saying, you son of man, take for yourself one stick. And write, you know, I always wanted to do that. I forgot. I thought about it last week. I was going to get a magic trick to do this. Write on one stick Yehuda. Write on one stick Yosef. Take the two sticks, rub them together, and what's going to happen is going to be one stick. One stick. Bring them close to one another, it's going to be one stick. And when the children of, of, of your people say to you, 
What are you going to say? Say to them. So says Hashem, Behold, I'm going to take the stick of Yosef, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will place them with the stick of Yehuda, and I will make them into one stick, and they shall become one in my hand. And the sticks upon which you shall write shall be in your hand before their eyes, and say to them, I'm going to take Bnei Israel from among the nations where they went, I'm going to gather them, I'm going to bring them all one nation, they're going to all live, this is all talking about the time of Mashiach, my, and who's going to be the king? My servant David shall be king over them. One shepherd shall be for them. They shall walk in my ordinances, observe my statutes, and they'll dwell in the land I've given them. And he goes on and on. On and on. The, the nation shall know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary, they're going to rebuild the Ben HaMikdash, is there forever. One stick right, Yehuda. One stick right, Yosef. Two sticks, bring them together, magic, abracadabra, one stick. What's going on? What's going on? Tell them, I'm going to take B'nai Israel. I'm going to gather them together, the prophecy before the Mashiach, one nation, one king. Right now, it appears there's two, Yosef and Yehuda. Then there's going to be one. And we're not going to be two nations any longer. David's going to be the king. So before the Mashiach, if you want to know the Mashiach is going to be here, if you want to know he's really here, if you want to know things are different, the best place to go is to the zoo. We all should plan a trip to the zoo. And if we go to the zoo, and we go into the tiger's den, and we put a sheep inside the tiger's den with the tiger, and the tiger doesn't eat the sheep, we know Mashiach is here. Huh? If we take the wolf and put the wolf with the sheep, if the lamb with the tiger, if the animals all get along, then we're going to all get along. What does that mean? Unity, peace between the animals. The Haftarah is telling us about there's a big machloket, which we don't really see in our lives. The big machloket seems to be between Yosef and Yehuda. Each is a separate stick. What do you mean? Yosef and Yehuda, big machloket. You want big machloket? Meretz and, and Shas. I mean, that's big machloket. What do you mean? Yosef and Yehuda. What is big machloket in our time? The Navi is telling us two entities, nations, opposites, Put together the stick, one stick. But we really don't see in this parasha a major conflict. Yehuda didn't steal the cup. Yehuda doesn't recognize it's Yosef. If he did recognize it was his brother, he would say, stop the nonsense! If he could show they never stole the cup, he would say, stop, it's a lie, it's all made up. The whole thing is made up. The whole perashah miketz is a waste of time. Nothing happens because it's all a big joke. We have a whole perashah coming, going, back and forth, money in the bag. What are we trying to prove here? So if it's fake, what is the Navi saying there seems to be a big conflict between Yehuda and Yosef? Where's the big conflict? All through Acharit Hayamim, there's going to be a conflict between Yosef and Yehuda until the Mashiach comes? What do you mean? He acknowledged that they were guilty to be slaves. What's going on? What's going on? (coughs) Are we really divided until Mashiach comes between Yosef and Yehuda? Then David HaMelech is going to be king? Then we're going to be one nation. Then we're going to have one king. Why can't we get together? What does Yehuda 
have against Yosef? It seems that once Yosef reveals himself in this parasha, everything's settled. Why is there a schism going forward? Vayeshev, we read, the brothers hate him. Why? The dreamer of dreams. He dreams about the stalks of wheat and their stalks are going to bow down to him. Dreams ignore him. Imagine if my brother came to me when I was a little kid and he said, Hey Dave, I had a dream you were polishing my shoes. Wow. I'm going to be really upset. I'm going to get so upset that he had a dream that I was polishing his shoes. What do you, he had a dream. Leave the dream. What are you so worried about? Sheaves of wheat are bowing. Why is it such a reason to get upset? Why is there such a schism? Why is there such hatred? Why don't they even apologize later? Why do they feel justified getting rid of him? What is the big schism between Yehuda and Yosef? The dream could have been meaningless. It says, and also, this chutzpah on Yosef's part tells his father, the sun and the moon, bowing down to me? How disrespectful. Could you imagine if, if your brother went to your parents and said, I had a dream. You were bowing down to me. What would you do? You say, call the psychologist. Call the psychiatrist. He's off his caboodle. What are you worried about? And Yaakov shamar et hadavar. He's waiting. The rabbis say he's looking forward. What's he looking forward to? He's looking forward to bow down to his own son. What are we talking about? Last week we talked about the dreams the dream gets Yosef out of prison. He's released from jail because of Paro's dream. He comes out of jail. Can't Hashem come up with another way to get him out of jail? Why via dreams? Why via dream interpretation? We had the explanation of last week, seven years. We said last week there's a problem. The dream basically says seven years of, of, of fat, of fat cows, swallowed up by seven years of skinny cows. Seven thick ears swallowed up by seven windblown ears. It means that there's a gezerah and there's no way to overcome the gezerah. How can you overcome the gezerah? Only by doing teshuvah. Yet Yosef doesn't say to Paro, do teshuvah. It's not like Yonah going to Nineveh and say, do teshuvah. It says, maybe if he tells them, do teshuvah, as Yonah told them in Nineveh, maybe then the gezerah could be lifted. How do we have that Yosef is saying, don't worry, I will take care of everything. Pick ish navon, chacham navon. Pick me, basically, and I will take care of everything. Even though there's a gezerah, that the seven good years will not even exist in the face of the seven bad years. How do we understand all of this? Just go one more question to ask, and then we're going to give you the Arizal's answers to everything. The one more question that to come back with the answer was this. What happened between the first, the last two verses of last week's parasha to the beginning of this week's parasha? I think this is maybe what Yehuda was considering. We said, Yehuda says, you know what? This is all from Hashem. Right? We said, What can we say to my master? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God found the sin of your servants. He's admitting we're going to all serve you also, us also. They're all going to stay, including Benjamin. We leave it at that. That's it. That's where the story should end. They're all going to be slaves. 
That's what Yehuda said. What changes it? Yosef's response. Vayomer. Halilali. God forbid. Zot. From doing this. Only the one who had the cup, he's the one who's going to be a slave. What happens? He said, Yehuda, that the sin is from God on all of us. And Yosef says, no, all of you go. The only one who stays is Benjamin. What's the problem with that? The only one of the brothers who's not guilty in the sale of Yosef is who? Benjamin. And once Yosef utters those words, Yehuda says, oh my gosh, wait a minute. If all of this is coming from Hashem, and we're guilty because we sold our brothers, then all of us should be slaves. The one guy who shouldn't be affected is Benjamin. But now that he's saying that Benjamin has to say it, all of you can go, this is not what we thought it was. And everything changes. Now he's put into the test of having the same thing happen to him again and seeing how he's going to respond. Now let's go to the Arizal. The Arizal comments on this week's parasha. Bereshit bara Elokim. In the beginning, Elokim created. Et HaShamayim. Elokim created et HaShamayim ve'et Ha'aretz. What's Elokim? Elokim, we always said, is Midat Hadin. When Hashem created the world, He created the world with Midat Hadin. What is Midat Hadin? Midat Hadin says, you do something and it's good, you get a reward. You do something and it's bad, you get punished. Finished. That's it. It's black and white. The world is supposed to run through Midat HaGevura. It's supposed to run through Midat Hadin. It's supposed to run through Elohim. The problem was, the world wasn't going to survive. So Hashem introduces an aspect which we call Havaya. Havaya, the Yud, the He, the Vav, the He. This represents the mercy of Hashem. Elohim is judgment, pure Deen. It is what it is. While Havaya is mercy. The world is created with Elohim. You're always in court. You're always in front of the judge. Strict justice Pay for what you did. It's interesting when Yosef turns to his brothers, he talks about this aspect Elohim. Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. Yosef is always talking about Elohim. The Midrash says the world cannot exist with strict justice. So Hashem has to introduce kindness, has to introduce mercy. But really we have to understand that the intent of Hashem is Bereshit para Elohim. The world should have been, was created to run the Midat Hadin. Justice, in order to accomplish, one has to pass a test. In order to grow, one has to go through life without a curve, without mercy. He has to do what's right. That's how a person moves up. He passes the test. And mercy sort of defeats the purpose in allowing people to grow. I gave the example. Imagine going for a driving test. You send your daughter for a driving test. You pull up in Queens, in front of the Rebbe's kever. That's where the guy meets the kid to get in the car. Your daughter gets in the car and you know she cannot drive. 
but she insists I have a, a test appointment today. I'm going to get and try my taking my test. And she's a cute little girl, and everyone loves her because she's completely filled with chen, and she's this most chesed person, and she gets in the car, and you know she can't park, she can't make a K-turn, a U-turn, she can go straight, maybe. So she gets in the car, and you're waiting for them to come back, and she's going to come back crying a little, she failed. Okay, now you'll go take real driver's ed, and you'll learn how to drive. She goes around, comes back two minutes later, jumps out of the car, I passed! What do you mean you passed? How'd you pop? He didn't make me pop. How about your K-turn? He didn't make me do a K-turn. What'd you do? We rode around the corner and he spoke to me and he said that I was nice and I told him about my life and he was such a nice guy. The, the, the driving test of chesed. The nicest driving test you ever took. Don't worry if you can't drive. You get to pass anyway. You want to be on the road with this kid? I'm going to tell you. Accident three months later, six months. Come on! The guy lets you pass the test because he's a nice guy. No Dean, only Chesed. I remember we're talking about Moshe, about medical school. Guy goes to medical school. You go to medical school, medical school of Dean. They push you, stay up all night, push you, test, study, study, study. Press you to be competing with everyone else. What number are you going to be the rankings? That's the medical school of Dean. Then there's the medical school of Chesed. You want to come to school? Come. You don't want to come? Don't come. In the end of four years, we're going to give you a degree that says doctor, whether you know anything or not. The medical school of Chesed. Which, which place you want your doctor to go to? The medical school of Chesed or the medical school of Dean? You can't go to the medical school of Chesed and become a real doctor. If you have a world only running on good and kindness and love and curves and giving everything and say, no problem, you're forgiven. There's no growth in the world. In order to have growth in the world, there has to be Dean. There has to be judgment. So when we say we want a world that's only Chesed and kindness, it's not true. It's not true because to have growth, we need the aspect of Elohim. And that's what Hashem wanted from us. Bereshit bara Elohim, I want you to grow. I want you to succeed. I want you to be better and best that you can be. And I'm going to push you very far. Could you imagine a little kid learning to walk, falls down. Oh, I feel so bad. I'm not going to let that child fall down. I'm never going to let them fall down. Guess what? Then they're never going to learn how to walk. You have to live in a world that has some aspect of deen in order for, for us to work. You see Yaakov. I remember it says, Vayidar Yaakov Neder. You remember it says, when Yaakov has the dream at the night. It says he, he had the dream with the ladder going up and after he wakes up in the morning, it says he swore, he made a vow. Im yihyev, this is the words. Im Elohim imadi. If God Elohim will be with me, and he will watch me on the way. On this way. And God, Yudke Vavke, will be for me a God. Everyone has a question. What is Yaakov doing? Negotiating with Hashem? Hey Hashem, you know what? If you take care of me, give me food to eat, clothes to wear, place to sleep, then you'll be my God. But if not, no way. He's not saying that. What Yaakov is saying to Hashem is this. Hashem, if you take care of my basic necessities, then you can deal with me as Elohim. 
you could deal with me as midat hadin. Hashem will be for me Elohim. I will be up to the level to deal with you on Elohim with growth. You don't have to let it slide. You can judge me too. The hairbreadth. And we see Hashem actually does judge him to the hairbreadth. And we're going to see next week when he meets Paron, we mentioned. No, this week. He meets Paron and he says to Paron that his life was terrible because he gives this speech of 30, 147, 33 words that Hashem takes 33 words from 33 years from his life. He judges him with Midat Adin. Who else does Hashem judge with Midat Adin? The only other person on the face of the earth who can live under the rule of Midat Adin is who? Yosef. Two extra words, two years in jail. Ten times he hears Avdecha about your father, ten years from his life. Who is Yosef? Who is Yaakov? Yosef is a reflection of Yaakov. He looks like his father. There are only two people on the planet who can live under Hashem as Elohim, under Midat Adin. Everyone else is dependent on the Chesed. Everyone is dependent. It says, Elohim, no mercy, strict justice. What is Yosef telling his brothers? The Arizal says, we say, Baruch Atah Hashem. But really, Havaya is not revealed anywhere except, says the Ari, in Eretz Israel. In the land of Israel, there's a concept of Havaya. There's a concept of mercy. When you leave Eretz Israel, there's only Elohim. There's only strict justice. That's one of the reasons we don't have a Bet outside of Eretz Israel. That's the reason that our tefilot, they go to Eretz Israel and then they go up. Because only in Eretz Israel is there's the aspect of Havaya. In exile, maybe we should be saying, Baruch Ata Elohim. But prayers don't help when it comes to Elohim. You can't pray to the judge who's judging you on strict justice. You can't pray to him to be lenient because when it's strict justice, when it's deen, it either is black or white. There's no middle. There's no mercy. The law is the law is the law. We're finished. And if we go into this locked door, this aspect of Elohim, no mercy, strict justice, we have this closed door policy, it's very difficult to survive. Only in Eretz Yisrael is there mercy. Only there can you pray. Only there can you ask. It says, the reason we said no Ben HaMikdash is because the sacrifices are like prayers. Only you have this aspect of being able to give a sacrifice, of being able to ask for mercy to a place where there's a God who's the aspect of mercy, which is Havayaz Yudke Bavke. The Gezerah was given to Abraham Avinu. Your children will go into exile. The tragedy of exile is not being in a different place. It's not the place. The tragedy of exile is that you're going to a place without a connection to Havaya. You're going to a place without a connection to mercy. The tragedy is that when you go into exile, you are disconnected from Hashem. You pick up your cell phone, you dial, beep, 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 and it says, oh, sorry, we cannot connect your call. There's no connection. You want to connect to Hashem? It could only be within the land. The Gezerah of, of Avra, to Abraham is your children are going to exile. B'nai Israel in exile is a tragedy. It's not just that we're not in our homeland. It's worse. It's that in reality, there's a disconnect in speaking to Hashem. We're out of the network. Our phone says roaming, 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 no service. The only way we can connect to Elohim 
it, 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 we could only try and it's very difficult. Because to connect to Elohim, you have to be able to be judged to the breath of a hair. No connection to Havaya. There's a blockage between us and Hashem. We read in the Torah. We read in the Navi. The threat, you're going to go into exile. You're going to go into exile. It's not just the land. It's not just your house. It's much worse. It's a disconnection notice. You can't call your daddy. You can't call home. You're stuck with a strict judge. You're judged on your own merits. The Arizal says, says these three parshiot, it's not just a story, this long story, all these verses, what's going on, Yosef, Yodah, the brothers, back and forth, back and forth, money in, money out, wheat in, wheat out, what's going on? The story we learned in kindergarten is not there. He says, you need the haftarah to give us the key. Until Mashiach, there's a battle. What's the battle between Yosef and Yehuda? What's the real battle? We say every day. When we finish praying, Oseh Shalom Bimromav. Hashem, Oseh Shalom Bimromav. Who Berachamav Yaseh Shalom Aleinu. Hashem, what are you going to do? You're going to make peace in the heavens and you're going to make peace below. There's angels, angels of fire, angels of water, some angels of half fire, some angels of half water. There's a conflict upstairs. As if to say there's a world of deen, there's a world of mercy. The rabbis tell us that Hashem says, I regretted making man, regretted making the world. What does that mean? Hashem could regret? No, Hashem is trying a different way? No, good. What's going on? Do we think that Hashem throws up his hands and say, what do I do? There's two ways that Hashem is revealed. Revealed through midat hadin and midat hachesed. But we realize that we cannot survive in midat hadin. We can't survive. But we cannot grow in a world of chesed. That's the machloket. Do we want a world of deen and growth? Chesed, no growth. They ask, who's going to rule over us? You, Yosef, you're going to rule over us? Yosef says to them, listen what I've always been trying to tell you. There's no free lunch. Compare Yosef and Yehuda. Yosef confronted with the wife of Potiphar. No, I don't do it. He doesn't fail. He's perfection. Always perfection. Yehuda, on the other hand, Tamar, how can we even read that crazy story? And she's going to get burned and he comes and says, no, she's righteous. It was me. The rabbis ask a question. Why is Yehuda made the king? Is it because what he did with Tamar? Say, no, anybody would have done that. Save her life. What is it? Is it because he was going to risk his life for Yosef and Benjamin? What is it? What is it? It's when he admits he's wrong. He realizes he's wrong. He's placed in the situation. He fixes it. And then he's willing to risk his life for his brother. He's willing to risk his life for his brother. There's an aspect of failing, coming back from the failure, understanding there's failure, and being able to forgive himself and forgive other people. That's crucial for a king. A king like Yosef is only in the world of Midat Hadin. Yosef says to his brothers, there's no free lunch. The exile of Abraham has begun. Yosef is telling his brothers, this is it, folks. You need to get with the program. There's no curves. There's no mercy. Yosef ends up in Egypt. He's under the umbrella of Elohim. There it says, Eta Elohim. I fear Hashem. When he comes to Paro, he says, Elohim is going to answer you. The brothers don't want to hear it. Yehuda's name is Yud. Hey, Vav. Dalid, hey, 
the name of Hashem, the Yud, the Hey, the Vav, there's an extra Dalit and the Hey. Yehuda is connected to what? Midat HaChesed. Forgiveness, mercy. Everything about Yehuda is forgiveness, mercy, second chances. Yosef, no. No mercy. He's in jail, out of jail, dreams, bow, cues, tricks. It says, guys, wake up. We've entered the Gezerah of Avraham. The good life that you had there is not here. There's no mercy here. Strict justice. Don't beg, don't plead, don't cajole. Yehuda's whole argument to Yosef is, no, there's mercy. Feel bad for my father. Let me be the kaparan switch. Yosef says, no, sorry. The Arizal says it's not just a story. The descriptions of the meetings, of, you think they're emotional, but the tragedy is that Yosef wins. The tragedy is, the fact is that we go into Egypt under Midat Hadin. That's why we suffer under Elohim. In Egypt, there's famine. In Egypt, we're going to lose everything. Yosef puts the money back in to show them it's not the money. All the money in the world can't protect you when you're under Midat Hadin and you haven't done what you're supposed to do. Even to his father, you're going to bow to me. You're living in a world of mercy, Yaakov. But the time of the Gezerah against your grandfather has come. My concept, Elohim, is now in place. Acknowledge this. The dream says they're going to bow. They're going to bow to my theory. They're going to bow to my connection to Elohim. He's trying to explain that this is what Abraham was told. Israel, it's all nice. But the exile, we lose the connection. The same thing, the seven cows, the tragedy of the seven cows standing with the wheat. What is Yosef saying to his brothers? He's saying to his brothers, I can save you. I can save Paro. I can save Egypt. He's not bragging. He's saying the reason I can do it is because I could connect to Elohim because I could be judged under Elohim. I can connect to Elohim, even Chutzla Aditz. I can skip the middle road. And jump all the way to be the conduit. Through Yosef, he'll sustain. As long we see, we see the end of next week's parasha at 110, Yosef dies. As long as Yosef is alive, they're fine. Yosef can face the court as if to say. Yosef can have a buy with Elohim. He connects to the level of Beracha above Elohim, above nature. Remember we say how Elohim is nature. Yosef jumps over nature. He jumps over everything. He jumps over the constellation. He jumps over the stars. He could be the one who's Navon, connected to Binah. He's the conduit. He's the one passing through Elohim. He could connect to Havaya, so to say, through Elohim. The power of Yosef trying to explain to his brothers. He says, follow me to survive. This is the power of Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef is the war outside of the land. The war of Givurah, the war of Din. That's why so many people have said, we've seen the Mashiach ben Yosef. We went through the Holocaust. We went through the tragedy. We went through the founding of the state of Israel. We went through all of these things that had to go through this terrible level of Midat Hadin. We see after Yosef dies, the brothers dies, we have a hard time. Now we're under Midat Hadin. As long as Yosef is alive, as long as his brothers who are still connected at some way to him, there's this power to connect. The purpose of these parashiot is to realize that in Chutz La'aretz, we survive thanks to the Zechut of Yosef HaSadiq. In Egypt, nothing's going to help. He gives the money back. You didn't need the money. Hashem gave you the money. In Egypt, money's not going to help. You're on your own. All the money in the world's not going to help you. The money won't buy you food. The money won't help you survive. You're under judgment, under exile. This is the whole book of Bereshit. 
Till Mashiach comes, we have to have that. Yosef and Yehuda then eventually will become one. And this is really the message of Yaakov when he tells his son. Yaakov meets Yosef. Yosef is crying. It's not emotional. He's saying, look, daddy, I told you. I was right. We're falling under the edict against Abraham. We're falling under the Midat Hadin. It's going to be impossible to survive unless we could be perfection. Unless we could jump. Yaakov says to him, Yosef, I understand. But remember something, Yosef. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Adonai Eloheinu. It's the same. Hashem is one. All one. All one unit. When the Navi is going to come, this is what Yechezkel is saying, it's all going to be one unit. Havaya and Elohim are going to become angel, half fire, angel, half water, one entity. Half judgment, half mercy. Before the Mashiach. But after the Mashiach, there's no machloket. After the Mashiach, Yosef and Yehuda come together. The idea of Midat HaChesed and Midat HaGibura coming together and being one. Coming together and being one. How to run this world. Judgment, forget it. We would be destroyed. Mercy alone, no growth. Yaakov sees his son crying. He says to his son, Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, as if to say to him, you know what Yosef, it's true. But we need a mixture. When Mashiach is going to come, okay, it's all the same. He says, I came to Egypt, but my hope is for redemption. At that point, it's going to be one entity when Mashiach comes, one entity of Hashem. And this is really the whole idea. We have to understand that in our lives, there has to be a balance. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. The Midat HaDin is actually Midat HaChesed. Everything that Hashem does for us is a matter to help us grow. To help us grow. But He does it in a way that's Chesed. We always say, Lematek Et HaDin. Right? Lematek Et HaDin BaChesed. We need the Din. We need the growth. But we want the growth to come through through lifting us up through chesed. There has to be the injection of kindness. What Yaakov is saying to Yosef, true Yosef, we're entering into a world of midat hadin. But if we could stay connected, we can connect this aspect of midat chesed. Yosef is saying, it's all on me. It's all on me. And we see the truth is, it's all on Yosef. Yosef is the parnas of the door. Yosef is the one who keeps the world alive. Why? Because he can go beyond midat hadin. But who of us is capable of going beyond Midat Adin? And therefore we pray to Hashem that we have this idea, this aspect of Midat HaChesed. But we have to remember that we must have a Midat Adin. We must have growth. We must push ourselves to grow. And the only way we push ourselves to grow is through this aspect called Midat Adin. There's not Hashem we're going to go through and see next week and talk about the final prayer, the final blessings of Yaakov. And the aspect of Yaakov, maybe Yaakov lomet, Yaakov doesn't die. And we have to always remember that this Yaakov who said to Hashem, that Hashem will be for me Elohim. Yaakov is actually the mixture. The connection is really Yosef through Yaakov and then all the way through the top. Yaakov is reminding Yosef, is, Yosef, you're right. You're the guy. But there's still the connection through me. Through me. We see also next week, we're going to see that, the, that with the death of Yaakov, the rabbis tell us that the slavery in Egypt began. Really, did it begin at that point? We're going to see, no, it doesn't begin. So we're going to try to understand why and what's happening. Zerat Hashem, we're going to continue to study this, try to look at this, try to see the advantages of Midat HaChesed, but also the advantage of Midat HaDin. And Hashem should bless us that we should all have the Chesed, but also the Din. We should all grow. We should all be able to pass the tests that we face every single day. 
I remember the Rebbetzin said, every day is a test. Rebbetzin Young Grace, every day is a test. Every day Hashem is putting us to a test. He's putting us to a test of growth. And we should all be zocher that whatever test we fail, we'll be able to pass. Just like Yehuda failed the test with Yosef the first time, put in the same situation with Benjamin, he passes the test. And that's when Yosef says, Ani Yosef, we should all be able to take the failed tests, and we should all be able to pass those tests, and with that, grow.